0: Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Police Law On Demand. I'm Deborah Britstone from 3D Solicitors and I'm delighted to be joined today by Hannah Hinton, a barrister from Sergeants Inn Chambers. Hannah, we're going to discuss slavery and trafficking prevention and risk orders today, but before we get into the detail, can you talk us through the
1: background? Sure. In 2015, under Part 2 of the Modern Slavery Act, the power to give directions about a person's conduct with the aim of preventing future offences of slavery and human trafficking, and as a tool to dismantle organised criminal groups from operating, came into force. There are two types of order that the magistrates in Crown Court can impose. Firstly, there's the Slavery and Trafficking Prevention Orders, The purpose of the prevention orders is to prevent slavery and human trafficking offences being committed by somebody who has already committed such offences, so they have a conviction for a relevant offence. And secondly, there is the slavery and trafficking risk order. A risk order can be made by a court in respect of an individual who has not been convicted of a slavery or trafficking offence and can be used to dismantle criminal networks. Interim orders can be made in both situations. Do you know how widespread these orders are? It's usual now for prosecutors to seek prevention orders at the point of sentence and interim orders alongside bail conditions for defendants awaiting trial. But seemingly the risk orders are seriously underused. My understanding is that by the end of 2019, only 28 risk orders had been imposed I know of six interim risk orders being imposed this year, 2020, so that's less than 35 since the commencement of the Act. Just to give you some statistics to put that into context, according to a report published in July 2020, co-authored by the Centre for Social Justice and the organisation Justice and Care, the true number of people in 21st century slavery in the UK was projected as being in excess of 100,000. According to a 2017 government study, the economic and social cost of modern slavery was between 3.3 billion and 4.3 billion. In the year ending March 2019, there were 322 completed prosecutions for modern slavery and 219 convictions. During the same period, 7,525 adults and children were identified as potential victims of modern slavery. So it appears that relative to the problem, there are not many orders being upheld. Do you know why there are so few risk orders? I don't know all of the nuances, but it's clear that these orders are needed in very complex cases, which tend to be the product of lengthy investigations by the police and other agencies such as the Home Office or National Crime Agency, Most of these investigations have a cross-border element and information is required from other countries, which takes time. The police must hand over the case file to the Crown Prosecution Service for a decision to be taken against the full code test on charge. So I think there's a reluctance to apply for risk orders before the decision is taken. The charging decision itself can take time because of the volume of material that needs to be considered and with, of course, proper due care. However, I do know that where there is a genuine concern for victims that the police have and available evidence against suspects at an early stage, the police will apply for risk orders and the court will grant them if satisfied that the criteria is met. Okay, so what's the procedure for applying for an order? It's more straightforward when applying at the end of a criminal trial at the point of conviction and sentence as the prosecutor will invite the judge to impose a prevention order as part of the sentencing process. If the police or a local authority are applying directly to the court for a risk order, then they will need to provide evidence to support the application, and that would usually be via an MG11 witness statement. A hearsay notice may be required depending upon what evidence is put forward, plus any relevant statements. A draft of the proposed terms of the order should be supplied to the court. There is no template as such, but a format for these orders has developed. And I know from speaking with the police is being developed. The application itself needs to be served on the subjects and they can seek legal advice upon the application and have assistance in court when the application is made. If it is known the individuals don't speak English, then translations should be commissioned. The application is then heard in court with both sides represented. And if granted, the court will serve the orders on the individual or direct the police to do so. What criteria is the court looking at when asked to make these orders? For both types of order, the court may make the order only if it is satisfied that the defendant has acted in a way which means that there is a risk the defendant will commit slavery or trafficking offence. And it is necessary to make the order for the purpose of protecting persons generally or particular persons from the physical or psychological harm which would likely occur if the defendant committed such an offence. These orders engage the court's duty to act compatibly with the Human Rights Act. Really, these orders must only be made in terms which address the specific harm the order is designed to protect and go no further than necessary. What provisions would the orders contain? Well, there are no set criteria. It's for the police and prosecution in a given situation to come up with let's say, ideas for the terms that meet the risk pose. Often the orders contain a prohibition on contact with named individuals, for example, where the suspect or defendant is part of an organised criminal group. Many of the trafficking offences involve arranging or providing transport or accommodation for victims, so there is usually a prohibition on that. The orders are usually phrased to allow for individuals to make such arrangements only for immediate family, And I find it's helpful to ask the court to endorse a list of names as an annex to the order so there's no doubt about what they can and cannot do. There might be a requirement, for example, to own only one mobile phone or notify the police of all phone numbers. Usually, there's a requirement to notify the police of residents and changes in accommodation. Examples of prohibitions given in the Home Office guidance include advertising for recruiting or employing staff, being a gangmaster, working with children, working with vulnerable people, residing with specified children or vulnerable people, organising transport or accommodation for other people, traveling to specified countries, contacting, recruiting specific individuals directly or indirectly, either personally or by electronic means, holding a license to act as a sponsor for visa applications or going to a specific place example where a victim resides. As such the orders are quite wide-ranging and individualistic. The important thing for police forces and prosecutors to note is that these provisions must be really clear and capable of being enforced as these are civil orders that carry criminal sanctions. I've heard anecdotally that members of a group subject to restrictions from operating in one country simply carried on business as usual by setting up in another area so that's something to be aware of. Happily, the orders can be varied if something like that were to happen. And what happens if a person breaches the order? A breach of any aspect of a prevention or risk order or interim order is a criminal offence. Breaches are a tribal either in a magistrate's court or the Crown Court or a youth court. The maximum penalty is imprisonment for five years or two years in the case of a youth. There is a defence of reasonable excuse – And that is why the terms of the order need to be really clear so there can be no argument that the subject didn't know what was required of him or her. And what if the person subject to the order decides to leave the country? The extraterritorial reach and the potential impact of these orders is significant, prohibiting a person from doing anything described in the order, potentially until further order. An order can prohibit a defendant from doing things not only in the UK but anywhere outside the UK. For example, a prevention order can prevent travel to a particular region where the defendant has been known to recruit people who've been exploited. So then cross-border enforcement of these orders does require cooperation by other police forces? Yes, at present that happens under various EU tools or bilateral agreements. In an EU case, Europol will be notified and I would have thought the order would be placed on Interpol's system Of course, the orders will also be placed on the UK Police National Database. So if a person subject to one of these orders is picked up anywhere in the world, in theory, the terms of the order will come up. Any breach of the order outside the UK committed in Europe can be enforced under a European arrest warrant. So by bringing the offender back to the UK for prosecution. With the impact of Brexit, these rules will differ and enforcement agencies will need to probably work harder to ensure these orders are complied with. At the moment, the UK participates in all EU criminal justice information exchange legislation, which includes the PRUM decision on access to automated exchange of DNA, fingerprints and vehicle registration data the European Criminal Records Information System and the EU Passenger Names Records and the police and judicial cooperation aspects of the Schengen Information System, SIS2. So you mentioned the B word. Do you know what will happen after Brexit? Firstly, a team called the International Crime Coordination Centre, ICCC, has been funded for another year. The ICCC was established to provide continuity for UK law enforcement following our withdrawal from the European Union. The function provides a range of advice, support and guidance on policing measures and tools available to tackle all forms of international criminality. Working closely with government and other operational partners to identify and ensure a range of contingency measures are in place when the United Kingdom officially leaves the European Union. This service provides 24-hour helpline for police officers. In 2019, National Police Chiefs' Council lead for exiting the EU, Deputy Assistant Commissioner Richard Martin, said, We've been working closely with the Home Office to prepare for all eventualities, including losing access to current EU law enforcement tools. We have contingencies in place for each of the EU tools, but they are not like-for-like replacements and will not be as efficient or as effective as the tools we currently use. Secondly, there is some conversation on whether the PRUM decision model could be adapted or tailored, but there is no clear guidance as yet. For those that don't know, the PRUM decision contains rules for operational police cooperation, such as joint patrols, and it introduced procedures for fast and efficient data exchange in specific areas. The core of the PRUM framework lays down provisions under which EU member states grant each other access to their automated DNA analysis files, automated fingerprint identification systems and vehicle registration data. DNA and fingerprint exchanges take place on a hit, no hit approach, which means DNA profiles or fingerprints found at a crime scene in one EU member state can be compared automatically with profiles held in the databases of other EU states. Car registration data, license plates are exchanged through national platforms that are linked to the online application Eucharist. So, guidance can be found on their websites then? That's right, the NPCC and the Police Cooperation section of the European Commission's website. Has the coronavirus had any impact? It has been reported that there's a serious risk that the crisis triggered by the COVID pandemic will lead to a further rise in modern slavery and human trafficking, unfortunately. The main drivers of modern slavery, poverty, lack of opportunity and other vulnerabilities is intensifying, resulting in an increased risk of exploitation and abuse. So sadly, yes, but hopefully the increased use of these orders will go some way to prevent serious harm from occurring in the future.
0: Thank you, Hannah. This has been very interesting and a topic that we will perhaps pick up on again in a further episode. Thank you. Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.